excuse me. I wonder if you ever long to hear God's voice. If you want to hear what God has to say to you. If if that is a desire that you have or have ever had, that's great because that's exactly what we're going to be talking about today. If if you think, I don't know, do I really need that? Do I really need to hear from God? Like I've, I feel like I've kind of got life figured out. I just want to take a moment and lean on you a little bit and press press home this truth that you need to hear God's voice more than you need anything else in the world. Not having the word of the Lord, not hearing his voice is pictured in scripture universally as a form of God's judgment. So we read through Amos recently here on Sunday mornings and in Amos chapter 8, Verses 11 and 12 say, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. And if you hang a left from there over into Isaiah, also chapter 8, Isaiah chapter 8, beginning in verse 16. Bind up the testimony, seal the teaching among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. And when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, Should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? To the teaching and to the testimony. If they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. Not to hear from God or to refuse to listen to God when he has spoken is pictured in scripture as being in the dark. They will be thrust into thick darkness darkness, groping about, looking, as it said in Amos, running from north to east, looking all over the place, going, where where can I hear what I need to hear? Where can I get the direction that I need? But they're groping about in the dark if they don't grasp onto the word of God. This is the totally opposite picture of what we have for those who are listening to God's voice. Psalm 119, verse 105 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That same contrast is all over the book of John that we just spent the last couple years in. The light and the darkness. Those who have revelation from God can see, and those who can't are blind. And as we come into 1 Samuel chapter 3, that is the condition. That blind groping about in the dark is exactly where the entire nation of Israel is sitting. 
So let's read 1 Samuel chapter 3. It says, Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel and he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. My son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time, and he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, Here I am. And Eli said, What was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. And then just the first phrase of chapter 4, And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Amen. The setting here as we come to 1 Samuel 3, it's continuing the contrast that we saw last week. So last week in chapter 2, verse 11, there's a little bit about Samuel ministering to the Lord. And then there's a section about Eli's horrible sons. And then a little bit about Samuel and then God's judgment on, the uh, well, actually Eli's rebuke of his sons. And then a, one verse about Samuel and then God's rebuke of Eli's sons to Eli. And then here in the very first verse of chapter 3, again, Samuel. But now it's not just going to cut back to Samuel's or to Eli's sons. We're going to get an extended section on Samuel where we hear his call to ministry. Verses, verse 1 says, The word of the Lord was rare in those days. If you've got the King James, I think some of you have, 
it says the word of the Lord was precious. And that's in that old English sense. So like we think of a precious stone, stones that are rare. So we think of them as valuable. It's the same way the word of the Lord was in those days. It was not common for God to reveal himself to people in the time of the judges. And there was no frequent vision. And that word vision is is typically how God would reveal himself to the prophets, so that God would reveal himself in a vision where he either spoke or, or showed the prophet something, and then the prophet would go speak that to the people. And that just did not happen frequently in the days of the judges. And here in verses 2 and 3, the setting of this particular scene, at that time Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. So the lamp of God, the, the menorah, it's supposed to burn all night long. You've got these seven lamp stands, that, or it's one stand with seven little lamps on it, and they're filled with oil, and that's supposed to burn from evening all the way till morning. So probably this is taking place when it says it had not yet gone out. It's probably very early in the morning, very close to dawn. And, and Samuel, we don't know exactly why, but Samuel is the one lying there, keeping watch over it. He's asleep, but he's, he's lying there with it, close to, close to the lamp, and Eli is in his own place. And Eli's eyesight had begun to grow dim. Chapter 4, we're going to find out he actually goes essentially totally blind. But, but at this point, it says his, his eyesight had begun to grow dim. And I wonder if we're told that here... For, for more than one reason. I mean, yes, his eyesight had grown dim. He's old. He's, by the time chapter 4 comes, 98 years old. But, but it seems like there's a metaphor here of the darkness that is over all of Israel because of the lack of God's word. And there is a darkness for Eli himself, who is dim to the word of the Lord. His, he's become physically and spiritually close to blind. The whole nation lies in darkness, but light is coming. Light is coming. Verses 4 to 10. The Hebrew word for call is in these verses 11 times. We get it as call or calling, depending on the tense of the verb. But in these verses, 11 times we get this verb to call. And so I think you can probably track with me if we're going to assume that the theme of those verses is God calling. (laughs) I want to note three characteristics of God's call to Samuel. Two of these characteristics of God's call apply to us just as much as they did to Samuel. The third one is is distinct. It's for him. It's not for us. But, But they're all three important to note. The first is that God's call to Samuel is personal. His call to Samuel is personal. Every time God calls him, He calls him by name. The Lord called Samuel, and Samuel said, Here I am. Verse 6, And the Lord called again, Samuel. Samuel arose. 8, And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And when we get to the final calling of Samuel, he says his name twice. Samuel, Samuel. Do you know that every time in Scripture God calls to someone, he calls them by name. He calls them by name. Jesus says in Matthew 
that the very hairs of your head are numbered by God. God knows you no differently than he knows Samuel. He knew Samuel's name 3,000 years ago. He knows your name today. And when he calls, he's not just sending out a general call for someone, someone out there to maybe listen to, oh, I'm going to make an offer of salvation and maybe somebody will cling on to it. When God calls, he's calling to Jan, to Elizabeth, to Linda, to Emily, to Chris. He's calling specifically to you. The second thing about this call is that it's persistent. You just notice the patience of God here. God could show up like he does at certain times in the Bible with like a fiery presence where he blows up the scene, right? Like, hey, pay attention, Samuel. But Samuel is a young boy. We don't know exactly how old. Josephus, the Jewish historian, suggests that Samuel was 12 at this time. We don't know exactly how old he was. But just say he's 12. And if you're 12 and some giant flaming figure shows up and says, hey, Samuel, pay attention. Can you can just like imagine the wet bed experience that would happen right there? Like you would you just melt. God gently and persistently calls Samuel. Samuel does not have any idea what's going on. He hears a voice and he runs to the voice he expects to hear, the voice of his foster father. Right? He, this is a little little boy who's grown up without his parents. You know, as soon as he's old enough that he's not breastfeeding anymore, he gets brought to the temple and left. Like, thanks, Mom and Dad. And I get to hang out with this 90-year-old guy and his useless sons. Like, what kind of a life is this? But, but that's who he knows. That's who he's familiar with. That's, that's the voice he's used to hearing. And so he comes to Eli and says, are you calling me? And he, he's, he's just, he doesn't have any idea what to do with this. And God, instead of saying, what's wrong with you, Samuel? He just keeps gently calling. Samuel, Samuel, Samuel. Do you feel, have you ever felt like you've missed the opportunity to listen to God because you failed to hear him in the past? If you can hear the call right now, you haven't missed your chance. 2 Corinthians 6.2 says, Today is the day of salvation. Today is the opportunity to listen to God. No matter what you've done in the past, whether you've listened to him before or you've rejected him all the times before, if you can still hear the call, you can heed the call. God, God is not frustrated by your past dimness or density or rebellion. Those things don't stop God. They don't stop his offer to you right now. In Exodus chapter 3, we think of another man being called Moses. Moses is hearing God's call at that point after having spent 40 years in the desert running away from his life tending sheep. And after 40 years in the desert, God calls to him and says, Moses, Moses. God isn't going to speak to you probably, I'd say almost assuredly, in the same form that he spoke to Samuel, where he comes to him and speaks in his sleep. We'll talk about that in a minute. But the call to hear and heed his words remains the same today. 
Notice in verse 7, it tells us that Samuel did not know the Lord. Why did he not yet know the Lord? Because the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. He couldn't know God apart from hearing his word, and he hadn't heard his word yet, so he didn't know him. So this is a, it's a fresh experience for him. After Eli finally realizes what's going on, and I just feel so unsure of how to feel about Eli in this whole story. God's obviously angry with him because he's failed to be a good father. He seems very dense to religious things, like to actually the things of the Lord where it takes him so long. Like he doesn't, takes him so long to understand this. Back in chapter one, he's just jumps from assuming that a woman's weeping, she must be drunk. You know, like he, he doesn't seem perceptive spiritually. And yet here, when he does realize, oh, this must be God. He gives very good advice to Samuel. Go lie down, verse 9. And if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. This is exactly the right advice. And when God returns the fourth time, it's interesting, verse 10 almost seems to suggest that God appears to Samuel in what uh, theologians would call a theophany, like a God showing up in a f- human form. Verse 10 says, the Lord came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, for your servant hears. He almost exactly, he skips the Lord part, but he almost exactly quotes what Eli told him to say. And the Lord calls Samuel's name this time twice, like he called to to Moses, 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 in Exodus 3, 4, we have God calling Samuel, Samuel, Samuel. The third thing to note, so this call to Samuel was personal, it was persistent. The third thing, and that's distinct from how God calls to us today, is that God's call to Samuel is a call to a prophetic ministry. Samuel receives a direct word from the Lord, and then is to deliver that word. That's Samuel's job here. So the next thing we're going to see is the content of that message. What is the word from the Lord that he's given? Verses 11 through 13, the Lord said to Samuel, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day, I will fulfill against Eli all that I've spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. And I declare to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. So in verses 11 through 13, the Lord unfolds for Samuel basically a reiteration of what that unnamed prophet had said in chapter 2, that that the sin, the sins of sexual immorality and the sins of abusing the sacrifice system, these sins are so great that, that God calls them blasphemy. They are They're acting against God. And because Eli failed to restrain his sons who are under his authority, even though they're adults, they're under his rule as the judge and the priest here in Israel. He did nothing to restrain them. Because of that, God says, there remains no sacrifice for your sins. And we might ask, boy, God, that sounds a little harsh, doesn't it? But it's interesting, Numbers chapter 15, we won't turn there for the sake of time, but verses 27 to 31, they talk about a a series of sacrifices that are there for unintentional sins. Like if you sin and you didn't even know you sinned, 
You can go and make a sacrifice, and God is glad to forgive your sins. But if you sin in a high-handed way, it says in verse, I think, 31, like if you intentionally say, that's the law of God, I'm going to do it my way. Especially in a, your position as one of these priests, those who are supposed to be representing God to the people and the people to God. There remains no sacrifice for your sins, it says there. You can't make an offering that, that goes up and says, oh, it's now okay to blaspheme God. Samuel does not seem eager to deliver this message to Eli. Verse 15, Samuel lay there until morning. Doesn't say he went back to sleep. I bet he didn't go back to sleep. You just got this message, and this man who is 80 years your senior and whom you really look up to because he's your father figure, he's the one who's taking care of you, and God's just said, I'm going to kill him in his household. Tell him that. Probably not going back to sleep after that. I was listening to one preacher, and he said, you know, Eli's, Eli's got the lucky charms dished out there in the morning, and where in the world is Samuel? He didn't come to eat his lucky charms this morning. Samuel opens the doors to the to the house of the Lord, but he doesn't seem to, to be where Eli is expecting him. And so Eli calls to him, Samuel, my son, and he says, here I am. And Eli said, what is it that he has told you? That's interesting. You know, Samuel does not seem eager to, to deliver this message to Eli, but receiving the word of the Lord is of no value. In, in fact, receiving the word of the Lord is dangerous if we are unwilling to act on what we've heard. That's what happened in that Isaiah chapter 8 passage that we read. Those people had the word of the Lord, and they were refusing to listen to it. And God is thrusting them into darkness as judgment for refusing to hear his word. God hides his face because of their intentional disobedience. And this is the message that Eli gives to Samuel in verse 17. Eli said, what has he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me that he told you. In verse 18, Samuel, he goes on and he does tell him everything that that God said, all this uncomfortable news. And this is the task of every messenger of Jesus Christ. That's true for us as individuals, every one of us, in conversations with other brothers and sisters. We are to comfort and encourage one another. We're also to call one another up short and say, hey, your life is not in line with what you're claiming as a, as a follower of Jesus Christ. You need, you need to repent of that sin. That's our job. And it's true when we share the gospel. We want to share the love and the joy and the hope in Jesus, but that doesn't make any sense. That doesn't have any context unless we've also shared You are a sinner who deserves hell because of your rebellion and your rejection of God. We we come bringing the whole truth and nothing but the truth, the bad news and the good news. And that's especially true for for preachers, for ministers of the gospel. Chapter 2 of 1 Samuel, verse 6 says, The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. Well, we know from the rest of Scripture that God does that Through his word, God creates life through his word. He kills through his word. And so the job of of a 
preacher is to do what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, to know nothing except Christ and him crucified. Not that you don't say anything except Jesus died for your sins every time over. But the whole message of the Bible is pointing towards and culminates in Christ and him crucified. And so the job of the preacher isn't for me to stand up here and tell you just whatever I've been thinking about all week or what I think would be good for us to hear. It's to look at the book and see what God says and then say that. And so, like, if I die in a car crash this week or, you know, 10 years from now, some reason comes where you have to, like, replace me, don't look for somebody with, like, a good resume. Look for somebody who just preaches the word. Like, that's that's what we're looking for. That's something, like, hold me accountable to that. If I'm ever veering off of that, please come confront me about that. There is no point in coming together and listening to somebody talk unless what they're talking is this word, God's word. And Samuel's job here is to deliver this, in this case, very uncomfortable message to Eli. But he does it. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2, Paul tells Timothy to be ready in season and out of season. And a lot of times what God's word has to say seems like it's out of season. (laughs) This sort of proclamation, whether in personal conversation or public preaching, it demands a response. And Samuel's, Samuel's word to Eli, it does elicit a response here. Eli says at the end of verse 18, it is the Lord, let him do what seems good to him. Are you willing, like Eli apparently was here, to hear an uncomfortable word from the Lord? Final thing we're going to look at is our response to the the words of God, the voice of God. Verses 19 and following, we see the word of Samuel, Samuel himself as a prophet being established. He grows. God allows none of his words to fall into the fall to the ground, which means uh, it, he's he's establishing that the he is speaking through Samuel. Uh, Deuteronomy 18 sets uh, a series of standards for prophets, and and the standard is that their words have to prove true. If they're wor- if they're claiming to speak from God and then their words aren't true, you stone them. Like God takes pretty seriously people saying, "Hey, this is from God," and then it's not true. God's not thinking that's a good idea. And here, God does not allow Samuel's words to fall to the ground like that, to fall short, to be sinful and less than true. He's speaking his word through Samuel. From Dan to Beersheba, it says he's established. Those are the traditional northern and southern limits of the land of Israel. So it's saying from the north to the south, everywhere in between, they know that when Samuel speaks, God is speaking such that the very first part of chapter 4 says the word of Samuel came to all of Israel. And that's seen to be synonymous with 21, the word of the Lord coming to Israel. But this takes us back to the distinctness of Samuel's call and the difference between his day and ours. In his day, the word of the Lord was rare, chapter 3, verse 1. And it becomes common in chapter 4, verse 1, through God speaking through one person, one man, Samuel, and that person then relaying the message to everybody else. And this actually marks a shift in Israel's history. 
Samuel's the first in a continuous line of prophets. Moses, like I said, in chapter 18 of Deuteronomy, had prophesied a day that was coming when a great prophet like Moses would be coming. But before that great prophet with a capital P comes, there are a whole series of prophets, and they begin continuously with Samuel. After Samuel, there are a continuous line of prophets all through Israel's history until the close of the Old Testament canon, 400 years before Christ. The next prophet to come on the scene after that time is a man named John the Baptist. And in John chapter 1, verse 21, the, the Pharisees and the scribes send people out asking him, are you the prophet, the great prophet? Because we've lost all of our prophets for a long time, and now here you are. You seem to be speaking from God. Are you the one we're waiting for? And he says, no, I am not. I'm pointing to someone. And who is he pointing to? He's pointing to the one who is the greater Moses, Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 1. It's one of my favorite passages. I quote it all the time. Hebrews chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. God has revealed himself for all of history now, from, from 2,000 years ago onward, through his son. He's revealed himself perfectly in the, in the person of his son. Jesus was the exact imprint of the father's nature. No longer are visions needed. So, so part of the problem in Samuel's day and the time of the judges with the, was that the vision was not frequent. We don't need new visions anymore because we have the perfect vision of God in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the, uh, the, the Greek there in Hebrews 1 says, the icon, the exact icon of his nature. God reveals himself to us through Jesus. And Jesus has revealed to us, John chapter 5 says, through this written word. Everything in this book is meant to point us in some way to Christ, the living and eternal word of God. We receive him by believing all that this book says about him. Chapter 10 of Romans, verse 17 says, Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And it's not talking about the red letters, just the words that Jesus spoke on earth. It's talking about every single one of these words in the Bible are pointing to Christ. The great gift of our day that God is doing in our time 
is that we are no longer having to wait for God to send a special message or messenger through a particular human. He's already sent the perfect human, the perfect messenger, the God-man, to reveal his full character and his nature. And to hear the voice of God in our day no longer requires some out-of-body experience or voice from heaven. We can simply open up the book and pray, God, show me Jesus. Show me Christ. We come to church gathering as the body of Christ, and the task of the the preacher standing up here is to make clear to the gathered body the word of the Lord, the word concerning the Lord. Dale Ralph Davis in his first Samuel commentary says, God's word, written, preached, and welcomed, is the token or sign of God's grace to God's people. We come to hear our Lord, whom we are to obey. We come to hear our Savior, whom we are to trust. And we come to hear our bridegroom and closest friend who will comfort us in every affliction. Brothers and sisters, you need to hear the voice of God. You need to hear the word of Christ. So pick up the book and read. Turn on the audio Bible and listen and come week after week and hear God speak to us as we come underneath his word. I just want to close by reading Hebrews chapter 2. First couple verses there. It says, therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable... And every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Hear the Lord, cling to his word, obey him. It's what we need. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you have spoken to us perfectly in Christ and that you have revealed him to us through your word, and that your Holy Spirit, for all who would trust in him, it opens our eyes so that we can behold Christ. Would you give us those spiritual eyes, we ask, Father, if there's anybody here who doesn't have that yet, would you just, like happened with the Apostle Paul, cause the scales to fall away? so that they can behold the beauty of the risen King. We ask that you would do these things in Jesus' name. Amen.